Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times in Bloomington. Today we're going to talk about the city of Columbus and the topic of tourism in that part of uh, our region and the rest of southern Indiana. With me in the studio is co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael, and we have two guests with us today. Uh, Lynn Lucas is executive director of the Columbus, Columbus Area Visitor Center, and John Erickson is director of marketing for the Columbus Area Visitor Center. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 in Bloomington or from Columbus or anywhere else, 877-285-9348, or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Mary Catherine, good to see you. Hi, Bob. You're uh, dressed in very springy clothes. I'm festive today. It's August, though. (laughs) (laughs) Need a little little festive nature here. But tourism is a good topic for late summer. Um, The fall season seems like a a great tourism season in Indiana always. And we'll get into some of the events and festivals that are are coming up. But, Lynn, let's uh, start with you and and just talk a little bit about, um, you know, your role with the – Columbus, Columbus. I don't know why I'm not saying Columbus right today, but Columbus Area Visitors Center, uh, what your role and your, your goals are in your job. Well, we have a multifaceted business. First of all, we run daily tours, and we have for years in Columbus, even back to uh, the early 60s, the Chamber of Commerce started organizing tours of the world-famous architecture And on top of having a very busy tour business, we own a bus, we own a van, we take reservations for daily tours. We have a two-hour bus tour every day of the week. Um, On Saturday, we have two tours, and Sunday, we have one. We're open on Sunday, nine months of the year. So we have a tour bus business, and uh, we have 50 or 60 trained guides, depending on the month of how many guides who are volunteers, wonderful people who love Columbus and do the uh, walking tours as well as the bus tours. We also have an active gift shop. Uh, We have a lot of traffic in our building, and we um, like to show off the Dale Chihuly chandelier in our building and in our gift shop. Of course, we have a lot of glass by Indiana artists, and so that's another one of our businesses. We also have a very active convention and meeting business and motor coach business, that group market that we address. And uh, we welcome our visitors to the community. And John Erickson, who's with us today, is um, very active with the media and, of course, our advertising and all the ways that we promote Columbus, mm-hmm. including a new website that's going to be coming up. Okay. I, I mentioned before uh, we went on the air that um, this gives me a chance to plug in editorial I wrote for Sunday, but that's actually not my main purpose, but I include this quote in it. Um, it's from a new fan of Columbus, Nick Clooney, who was in, in Bloomington recently. He's a, he's a Cincinnati uh, media person and, and celebrity. But he talked about his drive recently from um, Cincinnati to Bloomington where he spoke. And he, he talks a, a little bit about Columbus and he says you'll go – On 46, you'll go right through Columbus, Indiana, one of the most interesting cities in our part of the country. For reasons too complicated to explain in a sentence, Columbus is a mecca for world-class architecture. Now, it might be too complicated to explain in an hour also, but if you could give us sort of the short version of why it is that Columbus, how how Columbus has become uh, such a mecca for world-class architecture. John? Well, um I am not sure the exact date that it all began. Help me out here, Lynn. When when did the architecture uh, program begin through the Cummins Foundation? It began in the 50s and especially after World War II. Um, it's my understanding that as the uh, – soldiers were coming back to the United States and the baby boomers were starting to enter the world, that communities all over the country were addressing this new population of of children and just throwing up schools. All you know, they were just putting up these boxes all over the country. And uh, J. Irwin Miller, who headed up Cummins Engine Company at that time, 
felt very much, and uh, it's it's probably the most important thing to know about Columbus architecture. He truly believed that people are are affected by their built environment, the way we live, the way we think, the way we learn. And so he felt it was really special that our schools not just be cracker boxes, but but have wonderful architecture. And so that's when Cummins started paying paying for the design fees fees for our schools. It uh, wasn't a grand plan to have eighty or ninety buildings with built by world or designed by world famous architects at that point, but just to build better environment for our, for our students. And one of the really impressive things uh, that Mr. Miller and the Cummins Foundation were able to uh, do with that program is they gathered the world class architects, but they did not force. Uh, certain entities, even though they were funding the architectural fees, they didn't force them to choose certain architects. They provided a list. They certainly were active and were part of the process, but they never put themselves in there and uh, made the decision of who the architect would be. They left that up to the organization or entity. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned that 80 or 90 buildings that are, are designed by world class architects. So it's gone from the schools onto a lot of other public buildings, I assume, and private buildings as well? Oh, very definitely. Our churches and our private businesses have followed suit. And as we, that 80 or 90, by the way, counts our public art as well, but about 70 structures that have been designed by world-famous architects. Um, and it's hard to distinguish that the casual visitor, of course, thinks Cummins Engine Company, the foundation, paid for the design for every famous building in Columbus. But without our, our businesses early on, Erwin uh, Union Bank uh, used a, a Saren and one of the, the key designers in Columbus early on and started that process. But we're very fortunate that we have had so many generous business owners, not just commons, but throughout the community. Mm -hmm. Well, I think your public buildings as well, I know that you have a really unusual city hall. You might talk about that and and buildings surrounding that. Well, our city hall and then the jail is just down the street. I was going to make you say that. (laughs) Most unusual. We probably get as many questions about the jail as anything. Uh, It's very unique. um, Unfortunately, uh, it's very crowded. And so our county commissioners are addressing having uh, an additional structure built. But it's a great combination. We have in in our downtown, we often do walking tours. And the first hour of our of our bus tours just in our downtown, and uh, one of the things that uh, that's so wonderful that in a, within a block you can visit our city hall that's a triangular building, and our jail, which I think often has a little bit of. Uh, Mid Eastern look, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, within two blocks, you also find wonderful historic buildings. And uh, we're very pleased, very proud of the fact that we haven't torn down all of the old in Columbus, but every architect seems to look at the entire community and the look of the community and doesn't try to to design some exotic building that's going to overshadow all the others, but a building that's going to work with the historic Columbus as well as all the modern architecture. All right. 855-0811 is our... Our local number, 877-285-9348 for Columbus and any other community outside of Bloomington. And the email address is noon at indiana.edu. Our guests uh, today are John Erickson and Lynn Lucas. Both are from the Columbus Area Visitors Center. Now, okay, Mary Catherine, I'm putting you on the spot. Have you ever taken that tour of Columbus? I haven't taken the tour, but I have been to the Visitor Center, and I've spent a lot of time um, in Columbus for one reason or another. And I, I think the Visitor Center alone is kind of worth the trip over mm-hmm. if you're a Bloomington resident. Uh, the Chihuly piece is beautiful, and the Visitor Center itself is a very attractive building and a nice place to spend some time and 
Yeah. Good place well, to buy gifts. You know, I wouldn't have asked you that if I hadn't been on that tour myself. Oh, so, uh, there you go. Very, very good. Show well, I, 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 I was on it a few years ago, and one of one of the amazing uh, experiences in that tour was the um, Veterans Memorial on the courthouse mm-hmm. square downtown. Very unusual. It's, it's courthouse, right? I assume. Mm-hmm. But it, it's very unusual because from just the bus and and on the tour, the pe- the people driving the bus said you have to really get out and walk in this monument to really appreciate it. And that was absolutely true. Looking at it from the street, if you're driving by on your way to or from someplace, it's uh, interesting. But if you get out and you walk and you see the little inscriptions on the columns, um, it's very moving. Letters from the veterans, Mm -hmm. people who've lost their lives Mm -hmm. as veterans or as active uh, service people from Bartholomew County. It's uh, one of the most meaningful structures we have in, in the county. One of the wonderful things about that is that was a grassroots effort, a number of uh, officials, but uh, not in the official uh, the capacity of being uh, a county commissioner. For example, Larry Kleinance, a current commissioner, was involved in that along with some local veterans who were community leaders as well as just regular folks started thinking about that and raised the money and a, a great story of how the volunteer effort in our community works and and, and in our whole area. That's a, fa- a fairly recent installation, isn't it? How long has it been there? It had. Oh, now you're going to test my yeah. memory. Um, <laughs> it's within the last seven or eight years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it did win an award, a uh, national award for uh, for design as well. And the downtown uh, also has a lot of um, historic. Um, buildings, et cetera, as Lynn was saying before, uh, most of the downtown is on the National Register of Historic Places. And if uh, I'm going to kind of look at Lynn as I tell this story, when she was talking about the jail, there's a local story that goes around a lot, and I don't think it's confirmed, um, but I mention it to people that uh, there there's a story that goes around that uh, someone tried to che- actually check into the jail, <laughs> thinking that it was a hotel because it was such a nice-looking building. Uh-huh. I've heard that same story. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't think the sheriff uh, took any any fee for it. I don't think we had an extra visitor in the jail that night. We also have the same thing with our hospital, the Robert Stern design at the Columbus Regional Hospital. It truly looks like a hotel, mm-hmm. you know, much like a Frank Lloyd Wright design, and, and uh, it, it, exactly the same kind of story. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, oh. without the roof problem. So, yeah. talk about the the commons as well. I think that was kind of unique in design and concept, and. Uh, if you give us a little bit of the history of that. Well, it's one of the hot topics in our community right now. As we're looking at downtown Columbus, we have a very active group. Um, we're called Vision 2020 and addressing uh, the economic vitality of our downtown. We're very fortunate we have a beautiful downtown and it is very active. But in Columbus, we always want more and better. And uh, for about the last two years, we have been working, uh, looking at our our downtown, surveying our residents. About 5,000 people were involved in surveys or focus groups looking at our downtown. And one of the structures we're addressing is the commons. If you're not familiar with downtown Columbus and you don't know the name of it, even if you are familiar, it's that large, dark glass building on our Main Street, Washington Street. It was built about 30 years ago uh, as a retail center. There's also a community portion of the building. For retail at that time, it made a lot of sense. That's when we were building indoor malls all over this country. And certainly that has changed. Now we have little villages as, as, as shopping venues. So we're looking at that structure and future needs. Um, the Irwin Sweeney Miller Foundation has repurchased the building. Uh, they were the original owners and worked with the designer. And recently, um, I was lucky enough to be in a meeting with um, some consultants out of Boston and saw five different footprints for the building. We are talking about turning the building inside out so the retail will face the outside walls. Um, 
Also, looking at our community spaces, um, my sense is that the building is going to look very different in the future. One of the five possibilities is that we would start over with the new buildings. Mm -hmm. And um, so some cost estimates are being uh, developed right now. And it will be very interesting, I think, to see how that one block in Columbus, Indiana is going to be used in the future. One of the um, possibilities for the commons is a new hotel. Part of um, the vision for the downtown included more hotel space. And, of course, in the visitor center, we're delighted. We, <laughs> we need more hotel rooms. Uh, we have um, a developer who's coming in. Hotel Indigo is going to be in the next block adjacent to the commons. And uh, he's thinking of uh, – He's decided to build a Candlewood Suites in our community, and one of the clo- locations, uh, possible locations, is is that Commons building. Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting, of course. Bloomington and Columbus are are very similar in a lot of ways. I mean, they're both areas where tr- we're trying to attract tourism and downtown hotel space, and getting more people downtown is a an issue here as well. Now, as I recall, the Indianapolis Museum of Art had a presence in the Commons. Do I have that right? Yes. And will they continue to to be a part of this? We do. We continue to have an art gallery in the Commons, and uh, at this point, we are totally independent of of IMA. We work with them. We do have some of their exhibits. But now it's the Columbus Museum of Art and Design. Oh, okay. And in the footprints I've seen, yes, there will probably still be a a gallery, perhaps not on the second floor. Not sure about that. All right. We're going to go to the phones. Lydia, go ahead. Um, Hi, Bob. Is that you? Yes, it is. Hi. Hi, Lydia. Uh, This is Lydia Finkelstein calling. I thought so. I was very interested um, in the um, history of the architecture at Columbus. I wonder if people know that J. Irwin Miller roomed with Errol Saarinen who, at Yale. And Errol Saarinen is one of the nation's greatest architects. He designed, among other things, Dulles Airport Terminal and also TWA Terminal um, in New York. His father, Errol Saarinen's father, was Elio Saarinen, E-L-I-E-L, the founder of Cranbrook Academy. Now, Elio Saarinen designed First Christian Church in downtown Columbus, which is a national landmark. Um, that was the first building that was designed by, first of all, the father. And J. Irwin Miller was very influenced by the Saarinen family. He was very close to them, and uh, their ideas about architecture, environment, and community is what had a profound effect on J. Irwin Miller and how the town of Columbus became the great patron of contemporary architects. And uh, Elio Saarinen's church, which is across the street, I believe, from the library, as I recall. And the visitor center. (laughs) Yeah, has that very tall tower, which is a clock tower, very common, by the way, to the contemporary architecture of Finland, where Elio Saarinen uh, came from. And that was the original building that attracted uh, many, many people from southern Indiana, all over Indiana, to come to Columbus to see this marvelous building. So that's really how Mr. Miller uh, became profoundly interested in contemporary architecture and and how his town looked. Uh, it also helped to attract, by the way, um, executives to Columbus who were very impressed by the quality of the environment the architecture and how the town looked. Uh, You know, it was competitive to bring executives from the east or west coast uh, for the company, and it became a great public relations tool for the town and for Cummins. Well, Lydia, thanks a lot for all that information. You're very welcome. Lydia, I think you could be one of our tour guides. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think this is actually in your literature. Yes, it is. You've done a wonderful job of of recapping that history. Mm -hmm. For years, Lydia did a... uh, Bye-bye. Uh, did an, an art column for the Herald Times, and she's a patron of the arts here in Bloomington. Very much so. Right. That was a great call. John, do you want to add something? Uh, sure. Uh, first Christian Church um, was considered one of the first modern churches in the U.S., and it is an incredible structure. The um, Some of the things that I find um, very heartening about the work of the Saarinens, both um, 
both Eliel and uh, Aero, his son, um, they both did churches in Columbus, and they both became very involved with the congregations when they did that work. They uh, wanted to make sure that it reflected the congregation and their faith, and they wanted to make it make them both very personal structures. And I know at, at one point, I think Eliel Saarinen uh, did not want to do the church for First Christian, and I think uh, J. Irwin Miller uh, talked him into it. It had to do with the Gothic style that was that was being used on churches, and he wanted to go in a different direction and didn't think he would be able to. Mm-hmm. And the things that I've read, talked to people about, have to do with J. Irwin Miller talking to him and saying, well, we're, uh, we're more about an outwardly simple life and an inwardly rich life. Mm-hmm. And that seemed to help um, help him to connect with that project, and that's the building that came about. Okay. All right. 855-0811 in Bloomington, 877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington calling area, and noon at indiana.edu is our email. Yes, I have an email that came in. Um, Can your guests give a rough indication of what some of the recent architectural wonders cost to build and how much of that cost was for architects' fees? I ask because it would be worthwhile for those contemplating construction to have some idea of the nature of the commitment necessary to bring great architecture to small Indiana towns. I don't have any figures to share with you this morning. As John said earlier, once the... uh, designer is chosen by the owner of the building, whether that's the school corporation, um, the city, city hall, the, the jail, if it were the county, the, that is the amount of the construction, unless it's a school building, which of course is public, mm-hmm. that is uh, a negotiation truly between the owner of the building and the architect. And the design fees, I assume, are about the standard of percentage. But uh, once Cummins Engine Corporation, or now it's Cummins Inc. Foundation, uh, helps with that, the marriage between the owner and the architect, then the process is, is the same as any owner and any, and any designer. Okay. Okay. We've hit uh, time for our break, so let's go ahead and uh, take a, a minute off here. I want to remind our listeners that we're talking about Columbus, Indiana today, and we're talking about the, the broader topic of tourism. If you have questions or comments, 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 or send your email to noon at indiana.edu. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2 owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info. Each day, WFIU airs announcements of lectures, performances, exhibits, public forums, and public services. Announcements and links are also posted on the public events of our website, wfiu.indiana.edu. To include your event or announcement, you may utilize the Submit Event feature. It's located next to the events calendar. And that address again is wfiu.indiana.edu. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg from the Herald Times along with Mary Catherine Carmichael and our two guests today, John Erickson and Lynn Lucas from the Columbus Area Visitors Center. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. That's a toll-free call from Columbus and any place else outside of Bloomington. Or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Uh, I want to sort of broaden the discussion a little bit and talk about the, uh, the impact of tourism on Columbus and uh, the way that, you know, and, and any trends that you're seeing in, in tourism, any kinds of tourism you're going after now that perhaps 10 years ago you weren't going after. 
Well, it is big business. It's big business in Bloomington, Brown County, Columbus, and keeps growing. We have about three, according to the last survey we did, we did an economic impact study uh, for 2004. That indicated that we have 3.2 million visitors a year in Columbus, Indiana. It's a real variety, of course, of visitors. And uh, I'm glad you've asked about what we're focusing on because certainly architecture is important and that's what we've been talking about so far today. Architecture and public art, we've expanded that to our gardens and landscaping. Um, We have just entered the America in Bloom contest as a community and we have uh, an army of people who helped Columbus this summer as we were judged. It's the Columbus in Bloom organization, a great grassroots effort. So architecture, public art, gardens and landscaping, they're all a good marriage among among those three topics. The other three um, that we've really concentrated on in the last couple of years and uh, will continue are shopping, our wonderful outlet mall and our specialty shops downtown and, and our other malls. Um, about 30% of the visitor's dollar in Columbus is goes to shopping. And uh, the estimated economic impact of tourism in our community is about $238 million, according to that story, that research that we had done a couple of years ago. We uh, are looking also at family activities and uh, so many things in this part of Indiana appeal to families. We have a new children's museum, the Kids Commons in downtown Columbus. And finally, sports. And if there's a growing area, it is the sports tourism area that's not only Columbus but throughout Indiana. We're fortunate we have been hosting uh, World Series of Girls Fast Pitch Softball for the last three years. Last year, we had about 35 sports tournaments and events that brought in out-of-town, out-of-state even out of country uh, visitors, and the economic impact, the estimated economic impact of those events last year was about nine point six million dollars. A couple of weeks ago, we had a fantastic week. We had a World Series again. The girls' fast pitch softball. We had a state swimming meet. Another thousand people participating in that meet. We had a national tennis meet that weekend, and we had two other softball tournaments. We were filling hotels not only in Columbus, but Indianapolis to Bloomington to North Vernon to Greensburg. And uh, it's been exciting. It certainly has uh, garnered the support of the entire community. We have businesses who, uh, who work with the Visitor Center and Parks and Rec, they are very enthusiastic, and that has spilled over to our plans for the downtown. Mm-hmm. Putting on a tournament like that is a lot of work, so I can only imagine the big team effort that must be throughout the. We had a hundred and twenty, John, one hundred and twenty-five volunteers. Yes, yeah. yes. See, Mayor Catherine is the uh, president of the local parks board, and, and <laughs> as we we uh, mentioned, Bloomington had a uh, a national ASA. Girls, girls 12 and under mm-hmm. fast pitch softball tournament last week with uh, 75 or 80 teams mm-hmm. and and so you know we know what that's all about we helped house some of those <laughs> and uh, you helped us out the the week before uh-huh. i'm tired just listening to your list of events that's amazing I, what how do you calculate the uh, the impact do you have a figure you use for an overnight a f- visitor and Bob, we have a, a very conservative formula, and I know that the the Monroe County Bloomington uh, Convention and Visitors Bureau doesn't want to overestimate. We're always a little timid about throwing out these numbers. Mm-hmm. We uh, we assume that uh, a participant, a, a girl 16 years old coming to Columbus for a World Series will bring at least 1.5 people with her. Girls, by the way, bring more more visitors than boys, whatever that's about. They also spend more money. <laughs> uh, and uh, we assume that those 
two and a half people will each one will spend about a hundred dollars a day over that includes the food, the gas, shopping, uh, going to a convenience store, going to one of the big box store, and certainly hotel rooms. And so then over the 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 course of the week or number of days, so it's a very simple formula. Mm-hmm. Tourism is big business. It is big business, and we try to be conservative uh, with those numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, John, you, I know there are some events coming up in Columbus. Now, these are I, – I don't know what kind of a market you're trying to get with, with the events that you're going to talk about. It's probably a little bit different from bringing in people from all over the country. but It, it is, yeah. but, but there is wide appeal. Uh, one of the events coming up September 9th and 10th is the Scottish Festival, the Columbus Scottish Festival, and that is out at the fairgrounds, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, again, it has an appeal that uh, is very good for families, but it also has appeal to um, younger singles and people who are just interested in learning more about sc- Scottish culture. Um, there are a lot of events going on with that. Uh, you can learn a lot about Scotland and uh, the food and just activities. There's a lot of storytelling, a lot of activities for the kids. There are uh, there's a British car show that's attached to that, and just a lot of things going on. There's a Kaylee, which is uh, literally translated. It's it's a party. Uh, Scottish party where uh, the clans would get together and they would have social time and they would dance and sing and and tell stories. And along with that, there would also be contests of strength and skill. And originally what uh, the Scots would do, uh, the the men who won the contest would become bodyguards for the king. And that's where that originated. And they they do things like caber tossing, which if if you've never seen a caber toss, it's it's like a very uh, large telephone pole that that you try to throw, and you don't you don't try to throw it for distance. You try to throw it so that it lands in a twelve o'clock uh, position. And uh, there are a lot of other things. It that looks they like do. a hernia competition, <laughs> is what it looks like. <laughs> but it, it's a lot of fun to watch. I don't know how much fun it is for the athletes. I hear a lot of grunting and groaning yeah. out there on the field. Are they all wearing the kilts? Uh, uh, they do. Yeah. They do. Uh, and it's all as authentic as as they can be. There are reenactors. You can learn. Uh, you can learn battlefield strategies and etiquette, and in some ways, uh, ways to intimidate intimidate your opponent. Uh, there's a lot of sharp sticks and yelling, and uh, just <laughs> children uh, love it. They love to get out there and, and you know, get some of that aggression in a fun way. It's a great family event. And there's a. Um, a ScottishFestival.org is the website if, if anyone is interested in taking a look at that, but it's in Columbus, Indiana. Um, we've had people come from as far away as Texas to the Columbus Scottish Festival. We certainly draw from across Indiana and uh, neighboring states, but uh, it's just a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of people come out to participate, and it's just a really good time. Will, will there be a haggis cook-off? There, there will be haggis involved, <laughs> I but uh, I don't know exactly <laughs> Uh, if there's going to be a cook-off. And I, I don't even know what that is. So. Oh, you don't want to ask. No. <laughs> the night before the Kaylee, we have changed the menu. If you come, you don't have to eat haggis. <laughs> that it's may attract a lot more people. Uh, <laughs> okay. All right. Any, anything else? What, yes. else is, what else is fall? Uh, Ethnic Expo is coming up in the fall. That's October 13th and 14th. And that is uh, a celebration of the multicultural nature of Columbus. And it has uh, food booths, which uh, is nice because you can kind of walk and graze from uh, food from different countries. They have almost continuous entertainment going on. Uh, they have uh, dancers from India. They have reggae. They have uh, Zydeco blues bands, Japanese folk dance. Just a number of things that are going on almost continually. They have a parade. They have some fireworks. And uh, they also have a marketplace where you can go along and buy clothes. You can buy jewelry. You can buy other items for the kids that are from different countries. And it's just a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the history of that uh, particular event because I think it's fascinating the way um, that event even started. Mrs. Stewart, Bob Stewart, who was the uh, – Longtime mayor in Columbus, uh, he and his wife Barbara originated that festival. Barbara was very active uh, statewide in tourism and helping uh, bring not only bring visitors to the community but help our community celebrate the new heritage. We had a very successful and continue to have a very successful economic economic 
development effort, and we brought in, in a very short period of time, about 14 Japanese industrial partners along with uh, companies from Switzerland, from Germany, certainly now India, China, and we continue that tradition of welcoming these different cultures to Columbus, Indiana. Our caller earlier today talked about the vision of the architecture that was not only wonderful for the look of the community, but it was smart business. It was making this small town in southern Indiana unique, different, wanting to draw people at that time from all over the country to Columbus to work there, to have the, the high caliber of, of employee that Cummins was looking for. Mm-hmm. And in a way, this is that same tradition of welcoming our industrial partners from all over the world and making those families feel welcome and letting southern Indiana, south central Indiana, embrace those cultures. Right, giving them an opportunity to share their cultures. I think that's just a, that was a genius idea, really. All right, our phone numbers again, 855-0811 in Bloomington, 877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington calling area. And you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Our guests today, John Erickson and Lynn Lucas from the Columbus Area Visitors Center. Now, Lynn, you have you are also the, the president of the Association of Indiana Convention and Visitors Bureaus. Yes, I correct? am. I've been uh, in uh, a that current role for a couple of years Mm -hmm. and I've certainly enjoyed working with state tourism and along with that, all of the different wonderful destinations around the state. How does Indiana um, compare in terms of of attracting tourism dollars and and visitors to our surrounding states? We have about 59 million visitors in Indiana on an annual basis. And they spend, I think this is remarkable, $8.9 billion in our state. So in comparison, we don't compare – we don't have a Chicago, right. but we do have an Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. We do have wonderful attractions. We don't have a Branson, but we have wonderful destinations throughout the state. We have agritourism. We have the sports that we mentioned earlier. We have wonderful historic areas and and attractions. So it's a it's a really nice mix and we hear over and over as we look at how to brand ourselves that people in Indiana are so friendly. That's one of the best things about our state. We do we're not only a welcoming community in Columbus, but we are a welcoming state. Um, we do not have the kind of state budget for tourism that many of our neighbors have, Michigan, Illinois, Ohio, Kentucky, all outspend Indiana with the marketing that's done. But on the other hand, we do very well with the return on the investment that we have. And that that investment keeps – it continues. Uh, the state legislature uh, did reinstate the budget for state tourism last year. One of the the important parts of that story, Bob, is that the destinations work with state tourism. They help us leverage our dollars by buying advertising. Uh, John works with state tourism on a on a regular basis, and we're very good partners. Mm-hmm. What what impact do you think that the uh, the new casino in French Lick will have on a couple things? One on state tourism. Um, is that something that you all talk about in your your state bureau meetings and and also just uh, some of the individual i mean will it be a benefit to Columbus or will it draw some business away? I think it 'll be a benefit. I know that certainly bloomington 's taking a look at it Bedford there will be more traffic in this part of the state and in my opinion, and I think my peers we think that 's good business for Indiana. Um, We want to bring people to this state and certainly having West Baden and the French Lick Hotel renovated, those are wonderful treasures Mm -hmm. and it's nice to see the investment that the Cook family has had in West Baden and now the renovation of the French Lick Hotel, which is a wonderful, as I said, a wonderful treasure, lots of memories for people who have lived in this state for years. 
And adding the gaming along with that, I think that it's a positive for for Southern Indiana. Mm-hmm. It's more product development. And mm-hmm. one of the things that our state organization has been working hard towards in the last five years is having more product. And so we see this investment as very, very positive. Mm-hmm. Lynn, in Bloomington, we're always um, kind of crying about we don't have quite enough convention space. We need more room. Is that an issue in Columbus also, or do you have a good convention center? Oh, I wish I'd even planted that question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we definitely do. Uh, fortunately, the convention meeting business is very strong in this part of the state. We find that a lot of organizations really enjoy coming to a smaller community. Uh, they get lost sometimes in the very mm-hmm. large cities, and they like dealing with the welcome that they find in a, in, a, in a mid-sized community. We do need more meeting space. One of the things that we're looking at in Columbus as we address the downtown is the we have uh, a real need for mo- more training space, meeting space. And, uh, yes, we need hotel rooms and uh, meeting spaces. And uh, I know Bloomington has some new investment, and we're getting that, uh, Brown County. Uh, I th- in fact, throughout the state, for such a, a long while, we were watching Indianapolis almost overbuild mm-hmm. hotel rooms. And now the rest of the state seems to be catching up, and it's wonderful that there's a, that demand's there. You know, at the beginning of the show, we talked a little bit about um, regional marketing, and I'd like to hear more about that. I think it makes so much sense. Um, I think maybe before the show, we even talked about um, the distance between Columbus and Bloomington, you know, might seem like a lot to us, but to many people throughout the nation, it's really not very far at all. And so um, kind of this new initiative to um, market this area as a package. Could you talk a little bit about that, please? Sure. We um, certainly view that as a positive to uh, partner with Brown County and Bloomington and other areas uh, to help people get here to this part of the state. And also, you know, once they're here, they like to take a look around. And as you mentioned, uh, driving from Columbus to Bloomington for a lot of the people, especially people who live in larger metropolitan areas, uh, it, that is not a long drive for them. Uh, they may drive almost that far to go get milk when they need it of an evening. Uh, and we certainly think that there's a lot here to do. We have some of the most beautiful country um, countryside uh, in the nation here, and we certainly want to partner with other areas to to take advantage of that. We are having some exciting discussions among the bureaus, Brown County Convention and Visitors Bureau, the Bloomington-Monroe County Convention and Visitors Bureau, and the, and the Columbus Area Visitor Center are going to – we are going to work on some research together. Just started that work uh, with Temple University, mm. and that is the first step then in looking at – we're going to look at traffic patterns. We know that visitors often visit all three of our communities and our, our counties, and we want to do a better job of marketing them to them and bringing even more people. Uh, within an hour's drive, we, you know, it's wonderful, three wonderful destinations and the great variety of uh, the assets of IU and certainly the Art and Entertainment Center in Bloomington and the treasure of Brown County and the, the Art Colony there and, and lots of visitor traffic and then the Art and Architecture in Columbus. Uh, we think we have a, a great, unique package. Um, another thing I wanted to ask about that we ta- just briefly touched on earlier in the show was Vision 2020, and, and I'd like to know a little bit more about what that is. Well, I mentioned earlier that we're going to bring some uh, hotels to downtown. Also, we're looking at parking. We're, part of the plan is a new parking garage, new parking facility. We're encouraging downtown housing uh, within the core of our downtown. We hope to have a new condo unit in the next few years. Mm-hmm. And finally, um, we, as we were talking about sports earlier, 
the influence and growth of the uh, sports tourism is playing a playing a real role in in our addressing our downtown. I've been attending a lot of meetings in the last year looking at plans for an indoor sports complex. There was a discussion this week with another private developer. We've had four or five different companies that have looked at Columbus. Um, My sense is that we will have an indoor sports complex in downtown Columbus in the next few years. And even more exciting, the community is looking at building an outdoor sports complex. We have two different sites in the downtown trying to determine which site. It will be multi-sports, probably a stadium would be part of that. And uh, hopefully the people will leave those venues and walk into the downtown where they're going to find a lot more restaurants, uh, a couple of hotels, some entertainment, and uh, we think that's exciting. Wow. Okay, we have a phone call. Let's go to Eve. Eve? Hello. Uh, I've been listening to some of these, uh, the information, and it really sounds like there's a lot of great things happening in Columbus right now. Um, I just wanted to uh, add a comment, I guess, that I have made that drive myself uh, before, and, and it's true. It's not really that long when you compare it to, for example, the way that people drive when they're commuting in metropolitan areas and going long distances. But, you know, for a lot of us, that's not something that's a really appealing thing to do for a variety of reasons. And I sure would love to see us get some sort of um, other transportation system going between here and there so that it would be much easier for me and many people I know to come to Columbus and take part in these kinds of activities. Some sort of mass transit of some sort? Yes. That would be great. I agree. Uh, All right. Lynn, what do you think? I think it's a great idea. I'm watching carefully as northwest Indiana continues to address uh, the idea of mass transit, and certainly Indianapolis has done the same, and I think uh, it would be wonderful to follow suit. Some kind of a shuttle bus or something. Exactly. It would be difficult to get a rail line through Brown County, but... Yeah, I mean, if you were going to do something like a rail line, you would probably have to do it via another route. I don't think you could ever put one along 46. That would be nice. You know, I have been in a lot of meetings this last year about a new trail system that would connect. You know, this is bicycle and running and riding, but, uh, again, another way to connect our communities. And the first leg of uh, would be an Indianapolis, excuse me, a Nashville, Columbus trail that would somehow have an art theme woven into that. And then hopefully the next leg of that would be from Brown County to Bloomington. And so, again, not not driving your car, but for people, especially young professionals, people who want to have exercise as part of any trip, we think that could be a real draw. Mm-hmm. Athletic tourism. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Eve. Eve. Good Thanks point. For call. And speaking of trails, how about the Indy Wine Trail? You, I know that that's Columbus is on that, correct? Yes. Uh, Simmons Winery that's in Columbus is part of the Indy Wine Trail. There are seven establishments that are part of that. And um, it's called the Indy Wine Trail because most of them are in the Indianapolis area. There are seven. I think I said that. Sorry if I'm repeating myself. Uh, But it's Easley Winery, which is in downtown Indianapolis. There's Chateau Thomas Winery, which is over in Plainfield. Um, Grape Inspirations and Farron's Fruit Winery, which are on the north side in Hamilton County. And then uh, Mallow Run, which is in Johnson County. And Buck Creek, which is in Franklin Township. And then Simmons Winery. And they all have uh, very unique stories. Uh, It's one of those great partnerships where – um, the businesses got together and really started to make things happen and then contacted the different bureaus in their area and asked us for help, which is great because there are a lot of times when I feel like we push to have people make partnerships. Uh, it's great when they do that on their own mm-hmm. and they see the advantages of marketing together. Mm-hmm. And they have um, some very nice uh, print pieces out. They have a website uh, right now, that's very simple, but it's but it's informative and links to each of their websites. It's indywinetrail.com, indywinetrail.com, and uh, they're just doing some great things. And they are seeing advantages, uh, more people coming into the door uh, as part of the wine trail. 
Mm-hmm. Well, we're talking about websites. We should have you give your website so people can learn more about the downtown tours, the other architectural tours, the festivals that are upcoming. I know you gave a website for one of the specific festivals, but I, yes. I bet there are links on your website. There, there are, and our website is www.columbus.in.us. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay we, we just have a few more minutes to go, and I, I know one of the other topics that – you had mentioned is, is branding and branding for the state. And I know you're going through a process in Columbus, a branding process. So talk about that a little bit. Fun process. I, I was fortunate enough to be in some of the conversations about a new state brand, the Restart Your Engine brand, and capitalizing on one of their great strengths and identities for the state. And again, lots of focus groups were involved and, and lots of thought. And it's a brand isn't something that you decide one day and, and mm-hmm. then just put out there. So Columbus um, started a process. We have a, a great lineup of community partners, our, our community foundation, the Heritage Fund, uh, the Chamber of Commerce, the Economic Development Board, the City of Columbus, the Visitor Center, and our regional hospital are the partners uh, that have we have hired um, a consultant out of Nashville, Tennessee, North Star. And uh, I had dealt with North Star on a state level and and listened to them. And I've and um, Fort Wayne is dealing with that consulting firm. We brought in about four consultants and we interviewed them, and they were all very impressive. And we started working with North Star um, early in the year. They came to Columbus. They kicked off uh, this branding project in February, and. Um, have interviewed not only our visitors and prospective visitors and companies that have looked at Columbus over the years, whether or not they decided to locate there or not. We've interviewed um, people on both sides of that decision, but also have interviewed our residents. The brand has to be real. It has to be Mm -hmm. true. And our new brand, whatever it's going to be, is something that not only the visitor will see as as true and the and the experience will reflect, but our community has to believe in it. And we've especially been interested in what we call the young professional group, um, what they think of the Columbus experience. We bring a lot of young professionals to our companies, especially Cummins and Arvin through the years. We want these people to stay in Columbus. We want young entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs of all ages to come to our community. So it's a, it's a real effort to see what the visitor needs, sees in Columbus experiences, but also the residents. Uh, we're having a community meeting in August, and it's the next big big step in this process. All right. And with that, we're out of time. I want to thank our guests today, John Erickson and Lynn Lucas. For Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Catherine Hegeman, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. 